Hi friends! Welcome back, or welcome for the first time, to the Oscillators Stone podcast. Today's guest is a writer and educator with academic interests in philosophy of religion, Islamic studies, comparative religion, metamodern spirituality, and interfaith dialogue. So, without further ado, here is Jared Morningstar. Hi, Jared Morningstar. Welcome to the Oscillator Stone podcast. How are you? How are you doing today? You know, I'm I'm doing well. Uh, thank you for for having me. And t- excited to get into some esoteric and and strange and goofy topics today. Yeah, yeah, those are my three favorites. So, um, well, I wanted to talk to you a little bit today about Sufism specifically, but um, there are a couple other sort of tangentially related topics that I wanted to to touch on with you today. Um, but I, before I get ahead of myself, uh, I'll just start with um, Sufism. You uh, write a little bit about uh, metamodern approaches to Islam. And I think part of why I really wanted you on the podcast was because uh, I don't see a lot of that. I don't see a lot of that happening. So um, do you want to just talk a little bit about, I don't know anything about Sufism or Islam sure. or, or anything. So do you want to talk a little bit about Sufism specifically and how it differs from uh, there are many, you know, as I've read, there are many branches of of Islam, many denominations. So mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. what's special about Sufism? Yeah, this is a great question. And it's it's a little tricky to untangle right off the bat coming from uh, a more Christian Western religious perspective. Um, so Sufism is really not best understood as a sort of a denomination or a sect uh, of Islam. Uh, it's better understood as sort of a, a specific orientation within the religion. Um, so it's it's not some kind of unique uh, group that has its own separate doctrines that's identified by the, 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 the beliefs they hold in distinction to sort of other groups within the, the religion. Uh, but it is a, a community within Islam, uh, uh, different uh, branches in in Sufism that have a uh, unique sets of practices, uh, and in general, they are more sort of spiritually oriented um, than sort of uh, the the other. Uh, kind of orientations within the religion. Not that the other ones don't care about spirituality. Um, It's just to an outside observer, these are the people who come off most clearly as sort of the mystics and and such. Um, But uh, Sufism uh, is is, uh, Islam and uh, Islam, uh, in my opinion, and it's sort of uh, uh, kind of clearest or, or best articulation is essentially Sufism. So um, there's been a lot of uh, colonialism and Orientalism, uh, and and even before that, uh, sort of Christian polemics that have tried to separate and and distinguish Sufism from uh, mainstream Islam in in various ways. Uh, uh, whether looking at it as oh these are these are Muslims with a Christian influence, so that's why they have this more. Uh, esoteric focus on interior spirituality, which, uh, oh, that's what Jesus was all about, uh, et cetera. Um, or, oh, these, these are people who sort of reject the 
the mainstream uh, uh, theological perspectives in the religion or um, place uh, the, the legalistic elements in, in lesser priority. Um, these are all pretty questionable characterizations of, of Sufism. Certainly, a lot of Sufis would draw inspiration from uh, Jesus and uh, uh, the kind of mysticism that he represents, Jesus being uh, considered a, a very important prophet uh, within Islam um, in, in this lineage of prophets that uh, stretches all the way from Adam as the, the first prophet, the first human being uh, in Islam, up, up through uh, Prophet Muhammad, who is kind of the culmination of this, this lineage of uh, those who received revelation from, from God. Um, so there is a, a certain uh, uh, Christic element to, to some Sufi spirituality, but you also have Sufis who uh, will focus a lot on the, the spirituality of other prophets as well and, and uh, uh, other figures within the Islamic tradition. So all these Sufi lineages uh, ultimately trace their, their spiritual authority right back to, to Prophet Muhammad and these nice, wonderful lineages, these train, chains of transmission. Uh, and almost always, these also uh, go through the Prophet's cousin, Ali, who is, again, a very uh, important spiritual figure within the, the tradition. Um, but to think that uh, the Sufis are, are sort of Muslims who reject the legal elements of the, the tradition or are uh, engaging in some kind of really detached spirituality, uh, it's not very reflected in uh, the history of Islamic spirituality. Uh, certainly there have been tensions that arise between certain charismatic Sufi figures and the more kind of mainstream legalistic uh, traditions in the religion. Um, but uh, by and large, uh, Sufism has been part of the co cohesive whole of uh, the Islamic uh, religious uh, fabric throughout the ages. Um, and uh, Sufis certainly have cared significantly about uh, upholding uh, the sort of moral and ethical demands of the Sharia. And uh, likewise, many of the Islamic jurists responsible for kind of interpreting the, the divine law, uh, these people were participants in Sufi orders. Sometimes they were Sufi masters themselves. So uh, it's, it's difficult to really draw these kinds of clear distinctions uh, between uh, Sufism and, and some other kind of uh, Islam. Um, so uh, right off the bat, uh, my main point is that uh, Sufism is Islam, uh, mm -hmm. basically. Um, so uh, we're not talking about something that's uh, sort of some weird niche within the religion or uh, some kind of uh, strange manifestation of it. It, it is a sort of orthodox uh, Islamic spirituality in many ways. Um, though I will say one caveat here, um, there is uh, a, a single sort of big split uh, in, in terms of Islamic uh, religion, which many people will be familiar with, at least in terms of uh, the two groups. Uh, actually understanding the sort of origin and meaning of this split is a little 
more difficult, but basically of the, the Sunni majority, um, I believe is about 80% of, of Muslims or, or something in that ballpark, and then a Shia uh, minority, and Sufism as sort of uh, uh, institutionalized in these various sort of orders or tariqat uh, in, in Arabic, uh, that is mostly uh, a Sunni phenomenon. In, in Shiism, religious authority works a little differently, and uh, in general, you have a bit more of an integration of uh, spirituality, philosophy, uh, law, all these things kind of uh, are, are integrated in more of a, a single uh, institution and uh, sort of a religious framework, whereas uh, they kind of differentiate it as, as different orientations or different methodologies within uh, Sunni Islam. Uh, so, sorry, that's a lot of historical <laughs> and complex information. And I'm yeah. trying to sort of get the Orientalist mm -hmm. colonialist programming out of uh, listeners' heads uh, yeah. from the get-go, but hopefully hopefully helpful and coherent. Yeah, no, that, that was, I found it coherent. I uh, appreciated the complexity. I think it's really important to... Um, to speak to it um of course again like i'm i'm a baby with this information like i don't know anything about anything so i'm just soaking it all in like you know i didn't i didn't um i'm not uh a hundred thousand percent free from the influence of christianity because it's so embedded in the culture in the american culture um but you know there's that there's that kind of i don't know what this is um mm -hmm. and um, you know, I, I think a lot of people think they know, and then, and then right. the, the important thing is to, is to, is to realize that you don't and have the humility mm -hmm. to be like, oh, okay, that's new. So, so I appreciate yeah. that frame of, um, distinguishing the, um, sort of what a denomination is versus what a, an approach, like it seems like Sufism is more of a, uh, a frame or an, or an approach to practice as mm -hmm. opposed to a way of interpreting things separately from the norm. It seems right. like it's really quite, um, you said that it's more of a Sunni, um, um, it's, it, it shows up more in the sort of like Sunni faction. And so, you know, that being more mm -hmm. of the dominant way of, of, of practicing or engaging with the Islamic faith, it's, not doesn't sound niche by any means um yeah. yeah so you spoke a little bit about there being unique practices um within the, the within sufism and you also mentioned uh the perception of of sufis is that they're like more spiritually oriented and so i'm curious about that because like when i think of spiritually oriented in the way that you seem to be framing it here it's it's more um, maybe perhaps as opposed to like religious dogmatism or, or some kind mm -hmm. of externalized uh, way of uh, interpreting or approaching, um, you know, the, 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 the belief is that religion and spirituality are very different, different things. I don't right. necessarily agree with that, but um, it seems like, it seems like you're saying that Sufism has a sort of uh, mystical and or esoteric um approach as opposed to maybe other ways of, of approaching Islam. Do you want to mm -hmm. just say a little bit more about those practices and how they yeah. represent? I know that's kind of a convoluted question, but. <laughs> 
no, this is, this is exactly where I, I wanted this uh, conversation to go next, because I realized I gave a kind of in-depth historical and kind of mm -hmm. anthropological overview, but I didn't talk about what Sufis are actually doing and <laughs> what their like perspective is in itself. So might be might be important to, to touch on that. Uh, That'd be great. Yeah. Yeah. So just to uh, sort of put a put a lid on uh, this idea of the kind of relationship between Sufism and uh, Islam and kind of transition then into, well, what, what is what is Sufism doing? What does it look like? Uh, a, a better way to think about it would, would kind of be to, to think about monasticism within Catholicism. Monasticism is not some separate denomination from Catholicism. It's kind of the, the people who are kind of most focused on the, the Catholic religious life. Um, and there's sort of these different uh, orders, monastic orders. Uh, you have the Fr Franciscans and the Dominicans, these sorts of things. That's the same, same as it is with, with Sufism. You have these sort of specific institutionalized orders orders that kind of trace their authority to specific uh, spiritual masters. Uh, but I mean, these are the people who are really trying to deeply live out uh, the Islamic spirituality. One thing I would say is very distinct between Sufism and uh, monasticism in a, in a Catholic perspective is uh, Sufi spirituality is really meant to be lived out in the world. So whereas monasticism, you're kind of trying to remove uh, yourself and your religious life from the, the flux and flow of, of life uh, and the, the trappings of, the, of worldly existence, uh, uh, Sufism is, is less uh, interested in that kind of orientation. They want spirituality to be lived out in this world. Uh, there's certainly a place for uh, uh, sort of intentional seclusion as uh, as sort of a spiritual method to to make some progress, um, but that's not uh, not sort of how the the orders are sort of founded. Uh, they're they're meant to be uh, things in in this world, um, and so in general, I'd say the. Islamic ideal of, of spirituality is, is closer to that of the, the Mahayana idea of the bodhisattva. Um, mm. you're, you're meant to be sort of bringing something to this world. Your spirituality is sort of for this world, for other people. It's not, uh, it's not just uh, so you yourself can achieve some spiritual perfection and mm. uh, sort of achieve some, some good end uh, in, in, in an afterlife or something. Not that that element is absent, mm. but uh, uh, it, it is sort of less uh, foregrounded than it often seems in, in something like uh, Catholicism. Uh, not to be too too polemical here, um, <laughs> but uh, yeah. So I didn't uh, I didn't are... expect things to get so spicy so quickly. <laughs> <laughs> No, no, no. no. <laughs> I, I, I love my, my Catholic uh, brothers and sisters. Uh, mm -hmm. Shout out to all of the wonderful spiritual things uh, they are up to as well. Uh, mm -hmm. So, uh, but I, I think it's a contrast that uh, many uh, people may, may be able to intuit uh, in, in a very broad strokes way. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, what, what are these Sufis doing? Um, they're doing a lot of things, uh, and uh, it's it's a rich fabric of spiritual practices. Uh, different orders have sort of uh, different specific practices that uh, have been instituted by the the Sufi masters uh, along the centuries of of their existence. Um, 
So it's it's hard to totally sum up what what these folks are up to, but uh, I'd say generally the central practice of of Sufism um, is something called vicar, uh, which means uh, sort of remembrance, recitation, um, and this is invoking various names of God, uh, reciting certain Quranic formula, um, and uh, so it's it's a very um, it's a very aestheticized uh, spiritual practice. We're not uh, trying to totally uh, clear our minds as in uh, Zazen meditation or something. Um, there's a lot going on. Uh, it, this is often uh, something performed communally with, with a group of Sufis, but it's certainly something someone can, can practice on one's own uh, as well. Um, and uh, there's sort of a indefinite uh, variation of different names of God you could uh, recite or uh, aspects of, of the Quran. Um, but really, this, this kind of does show how closely linked uh, these, these Sufi practices and the form of spirituality is here with, with mainstream Islam. These are certainly not uh, something that uh, is, is that distinct from, from what uh, your, your non-Sufi Muslim is doing, this uh, idea of reciting uh, parts of the Quran or, or uh, calling upon a certain name of God. That's, that's uh, pretty, pretty darn Islamic, uh, <laughs> taking right from, from the, the scripture itself, which is understood as the, the direct word from God. Um, and you're sort of hoping to draw upon its, its sort of spiritual power. Um, so, uh, yeah, so you have this practice of dhikr, uh, and uh, basically what, uh, what the aspiration is here is to um, get out of your sort of uh, conventional ego self um, that is sort of, again, fixated on uh, the things of this world uh, in themselves, uh, in, in in some kind of sense, uh, you're taking things as they are, you're getting sort of caught and ensnared. Um, what you're trying to do is you're trying to uh, remember, um, uh, sort of come back to a consciousness of God, of sort of ultimates, um, and uh, that sort of recontextualizes uh, this life and uh, sort of this world and uh, brings things into kind of a starker relief that oh these are these are impermanent uh, sort of limited uh, experiences and values that we have here um, and so uh, that that gives one a, a sort of a spiritual distance uh, from the world that can be helpful um, but again our, our goal is not to sort of withdraw into ourselves or away from this world. Um, but uh, to uh, really uh, return to it sort of ethically purified uh, in a sense. Uh, so whereas, uh, yes, the, this world is uh, sort of a, a place of limited finite things and uh, they uh, sort of the problems you're dealing with in your day-to-day -day life are, they will fade. And uh, in, in some uh, next stage of your existence after, after this life, uh, these things will will uh, be nullified in, in some sense. Um, 
but uh, your good deeds, the the way you uh, bring light into this world, the way you are sort of able to, through your kind of own mode of being and and actions, sort of uh, uh, manifest best various uh, good qualities, which are ultimately uh, kind of manifestations of specific attributes of God, um, that does matter, you know, that does uh, kind of carry over. There is something sort of eternal and uh, uh, divine about uh, sort of the, the virtues you can, you can uh, exhibit, because ultimately, in, in a sort of Sufi perspective, those are, those are God's uh, virtues that uh, he sort of created you with, but it's kind of up to you to to realize them, to to actualize them, um, and that is a great thing to do uh, in this life. It uh, it uh, beautifies uh, the world and, and creation and uh, the lives of others, uh, which is uh, something that uh, God is certainly happy with. Uh, there's uh, I think this is a, a Quranic uh, uh, verse, but it, it could also be a hadith. Uh, which are sort of the uh, records of sayings of the prophet Muhammad, uh, peace and blessings be upon him. Um, so it, it very simply says, uh, God is beautiful and he loves beauty. So uh, it really, really goes to show you this kind of aesthetic orientation to uh, Islamic ethics and Islamic spirituality that uh, doesn't need to be so heavy-handed in a in a moral way, or or focused on on this paradigm of your individual salvation. Um, it can it can be about uh, uh, bringing bringing beauty into into life uh, through sort of purifying yourself from from things that uh, uh, don't allow that beauty to uh, sort of express itself. So. Uh, mm-hmm. That was probably uh, plenty. So <laughs> yeah, there's so much good stuff there. I don't even know where to begin. I love that you started to lead into um, the concept of beauty and its relationship to morality, which is something you recently wrote about when you um, you are reading. I forget what exactly it is you're reading. Uh, the Enneads, uh, his, I think. Yeah, the Enneads. Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. Um, which is awesome because you know I've, I I love when people um they take the leap to kind of read the primary sources for me like the only primary sources that I've gotten my hands on have been like the Hermetica and um Mm. those are a trip so (laughs) yeah (laughs) you know but I I just I'm very excited to to um to see more of your explorations around the Enneads and uh Neoplatonism in general and um what you wrote about more recently was the relationship between beauty and morality. Um, actually, I want to read this quote from 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 the article that you wrote. Uh, you say, "So in this uh, schema, we have beauty that is cohesive and unitary, but not necessarily immediately available to an observer. A developmental process between the observer and the object of beauty must necessarily take place before the depth of beauty can be fully realized. So you talk a lot about um, how the inherent beauty beauty in all humans, um, and I would, I would even go so far as to take what you said and kind of extend it to the beauty in all things, including suffering, um, which is one of my, spirit, my personal spiritual contemplations is um, to, um, is to, it's kind of the opposite of spiritual bypassing, right? So uh, there's a, there's on the one hand of spirituality, you have transcendence, you have seeing um, 
that this world is transient and temporary, temporary and very illusory in many ways. And then on the other side of the coin, you have being with all the imperfection, right? That is here and seeing, seeing it as perfect and still coming from the mind of God and all of that. Um, but that, you know, as you're saying, requires a developmental process. And so um, as we both kind of look at our respective um, sort of branches of spirituality or lenses of spirituality, mine, mine the more esoteric, yours not necessarily not esoteric, but more, more mystical um, than esoteric, you know, the direct relationship with God versus the sort of the ladder and the, and the rungs on the ladder. That's how I like to think of the esoteric spirituality. Um, we're still um, immersed in the sort of cultural sensibility of metamodernism here. So, um, which really does have a lot of an emphasis on, on beauty, on aesthetics. And, and so I'm curious if um, the metamodern approach to spirituality in general um, has, you know, a sort of a unique ability to lead us to the values that are necessary for us to be embodying at this time. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, so one of the kind of major features I I intuit in in a, a metamodern spirituality, at least personally, is um, a, a sort of deeper grappling with uh, tradition. And this might be a little different for other people. I don't I don't know that this is sort of the one right way to be uh, metamodern, but I think it's a very important uh, orientation to at, at, at least be conscious of. Um, so these wisdom traditions that uh, have been handed down in, in the various world religions, uh, ooh, that's that's something to grapple with. There's a lot there. Um, so, I mean, someone like Plotinus or uh, a Sufi mystic like Ibn Arabi uh, or, or even like a, a bit more kind of uh, mainline theological thinkers, someone like Thomas Aquinas in Catholicism or uh, sort of Imam al-Ghazali in sort of a mainline Sunni Islam context. Uh, these, these guys have a lot of uh, really robust uh, perspectives. So I think trying to kind of uh, bypass that and get to get to some uh, either revised religious spirituality or post-religious spirituality without taking that material very seriously on its own terms. So it's a move that I'm skeptical of uh, in terms of its kind of uh, eventual kind of integrative potential. Because um, I, I, I think we want a, a new spirituality that is both something that a person who has no formal religious affiliation can kind of hop on board with and find a lot of like resources in in that spirituality to kind of cultivate moral beauty and and these sorts of things to live better more more holistic lives to to be able to see uh see the world in a in a more coherent perspective uh we want that but we also don't want that spirituality to be in conflict with uh these traditional religious uh orientations which are not going away as far as i can tell um 
in fact, I, I'm seeing, if anything, a, a, a lot of a return to these kinds of perspectives and, a, and even oh, an ossifying of that. Um, so we, we want this, uh, this new form of spirituality to be something that uh, someone within a, a traditional religious frame can also uh, benefit from and really resonate with. Um, so I, I think the, the logical starting point for that is to, to try and take this, this material, this traditional religious material very seriously on its own terms. Um, and then sort of only after that point, uh, really try to, to do some kind of synthetic project or, or draw out uh, sort of new conclusions. And that's kind of what I was trying to do with, uh, with Plotinus and, and uh, that, that reflection that, uh, that you were reading from there. So uh, I don't know that Plotinus would exactly agree with, uh, mm -hmm. with my conclusion there. He was sort of really railing against uh, the idea of kind of moral ugliness uh, in 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 that same uh, treatise, um, mm -hmm. but I think within his thought uh, there there can be good good reasons to to have this this kind of perspective that uh, that you are uh, articulating really well. Where yeah, you, you are able to through the development of your own capacities uh, to to sort of perceive or intuit beauty, to be able to see that sort of more, more widely, more, more broadly. Um, and uh, so, I mean, as a Neoplatonist, uh, Plotinus is very interested in the idea of unity uh, sort of metaphysically. So, I mean, ultimately for him, beauty is, uh, is sort of an emergent quality of, of various forms of unity where the parts uh, uh, themselves sort of unitive and, and beautiful uh, come together to create uh, a, a coherent whole where where the beauty sort of shines forth. Um, and so what I was kind of trying to do is saying, well, actually, there's there's unities everywhere. Uh, and I kind of turned his sort of virtue developmental framework a little bit uh, in on itself and said, uh, you need to sort of develop your own capacities to perceive uh, more complex unities. Um, but that that is kind of like a moral demand, even like when you see a person who who acts in ugly ways or who exhibits an ugly character or or something like that, uh, being able to come with a more holistic perspective, see the traumas that might inform that or uh, the, the context that. Uh, uh, kind of uh, forces a person to be reactive in, in certain ways. Well, you're you're perceiving something more unitive, and you come to have uh, compassion for for this person as as uh, yet another example of a certain kind of beauty, uh, but perhaps not the most straightforward kind of beauty. Perhaps a tragic beauty or a, a dissonant sort of beauty, as you have in in uh, certain kinds of contemporary music. Uh, mm. So uh, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a difficult task, but I think one uh, with significant uh, spiritual uh, rewards, both kind of personally and then in terms of how your, your spirituality can actually have sort of downstream positive effects on others and sort of the world more broadly. Um, what I didn't sort of get to in, in that piece, and, and maybe we could chat a bit about this, is uh, so, I mean, if, if we're trying to, to kind of view all, all people or all uh, things as beautiful, uh, you can fall into this perspective of a kind of uh, moral relativism, too, where, mm -hmm. oh, uh, this, uh, this rapist is a really beautiful person. Cool. Mm -hmm. uh, 
hmm, actually, uh, I don't know that that's where we want to end up. Um, mm-hmm. So just because you're you're bringing this perspective where you're trying to be intentional about how you perceive others morally and, and aesthetically um, doesn't mean that there's no, no room for discernment uh, still um, mm-hmm. and being able to, to take certain stands. Um, but I, I think ultimately doing that uh, sort of taking a moral stand sort of posture after we've kind of decided, oh, there's an intrinsic value of other people. Let's uh, take these more holistic perspectives. It's probably going to be more powerful and more effective mm-hmm. than than just being really morally reactive uh, mm-hmm. around uh, your sort of uh, initial perceptions there. So, yeah. Right. Any any thoughts mm-hmm. on, on that? I do appreciate um you mentioning that because I do think this is the trap of sort of like more non-dual perspectives, more non-dual spiritual perspectives is it can really lead you straight to the bypass to the point where you're, you know, you have this issue Mm -hmm. with new age spirituality where it's like, Oh, you're just in victim consciousness. Um, or you attracted it to yourself because there's something inside of you that is compatible with that, you know, sexual harm or, um, abuse or, um, the, the tragedy that randomly befell you like a car crash or something, right. Rather than allowing the non-dualism to, um, bring us into a sense of aliveness of like, oh, okay. Like there are, um, like non-dualism can lead you to, there is no bad, or it can lead you to both good and bad just are. Um, and I do think that when we're, throwing morality out entirely in interacting with each other, with groups and, uh, and with such, you know, the complex higher order thinking that we do have um, sort of leads us to, you know, morality and, and, and social convention sort of just arise from those interactions. It's, it's just a part of that process of, of being human. And so when we try to, um, you know, moral relativism obviously doesn't work but a rigid morality that is imposed upon everyone, everyone having the same moral framework obviously doesn't work. Right. So how do we, um, one of, one of the bigger, bigger questions for me is how do we navigate with this moral flexibility that is not um, allowing certain harmful um, things to occur or to go unchecked but that is still seeing the intrinsic worth and value of all beings and the intrinsic beauty in all beings, including beings that um, are responsible for causing harm. Because if you think about harm um, in general, it's, it's everywhere. It happens all of the time. It is a part of the great sort of fabric of, of existence. Um, and punishment quite obviously doesn't solve that. It doesn't make it go away. Um, otherwise, you know, especially, um, a lot of religious traditions, like more traditional aspects of religion are very punishment oriented. They're very, um, authoritarian in in the approach. Right. And so if we, you know, are wanting to develop new ways of, of addressing things like justice, things like fairness, things like truth, right. Um, the opposition to tradition it's not sustainable, as you said earlier. So these are just the kind of the thoughts that I'm having. Um, 
around this this topic. There's not really a clear um, answer or solution, obviously. Um, at least for me, I don't I don't think I have one, but um, I do love to explore the relationship between um, goodness in sort of an, an interior sense of like what makes me feel good, what brings me pleasure, what brings me joy, and then what is right, what is the right way to live. Um, I love exploring the relationship between that. I do think metamodernism in its sort of original iteration is more focused on what makes me feel good, what helps me connect to my um, my world and, and what helps me validate my world. And um, as it develops and as it kind of takes on, you know, the term metamodernism has taken on some alternate meanings as time has gone on. It's a very complex situation that um, I won't speak about necessarily right now, but you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> if you know, you know. Um, <laughs> As metamodernism develops and becomes more complex and 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 sh sort of shape shifts and and uh, I I am starting to to realize ways in which the aesthetics and the interiority and the oscillation and and all of these things that are sort of in, inherent in the original aesthetic based metamodernism kind of can't help but lead to these more philosophical, existential, moral um, ideas, you know, specifically, I think of respecting the, um, the interior without having it lead to relativism. That seems like a huge um, incentive, I think, in the metamodern spiritual project. Um, so yeah, I'm curious. I just, I just kind of said a lot of random things and I'm curious what you think about those things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, it's so interesting. I I, I liked. Uh, did you say interiority or, or something, something yeah. like that? Yeah, uh, yeah I, I think that's a a really important term uh, because in in sort of these reductionistic type of non dual perspectives, that shit gets destroyed, man. Like <laughs> uh, like the 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 whole is the sum of the parts, but the the parts are are given sort of no due except uh, their kind of contribution to to the whole uh, which is kind of the one of the pitfalls of this kind of neoplatonist perspective uh, whether that is a feature that's actually uh, exists within the the neoplatonist uh, perspectives themselves I'm a little skeptical of I think they have ways that are are sort of guard against that but I mean as as traditions get handed down and get reinterpreted uh, and uh, sort of uh, abbreviated this is sort of what what this kind of neoplatonist metaphysics tends towards is a uh, a denial of the the individuality of things and the mm. um, intrinsic value of of a thing purely as itself, not as it uh, contributes to any kind of greater whole. Um, so uh, I think uh, being able to uh, sort of keep that perspective in mind and have this oscillation between uh, sort of individuality and, and some kind of more collective, uh, unitive, uh, integrative vision, I think is really uh, a helpful kind of metamodern move. Um, 
that uh, you're not sort of coming with a sort of a reductionist individuality either, where you have these things that uh, are so like atomized, like this kind of solipsistic perspective in humans that uh, were sort of minds uh, totally divorced from, from one another. Um, but, uh, but we're not uh, able to be reduced out of our individuality either through any relationship or context or or, or whatever. Um, so, I mean, I, I, I have a Neoplatonism on my team in one corner, but I have a, our object-oriented friends uh, certainly <laughs> on, on the team as well. Um, uh-huh. And uh, I, I, love, uh, I love bringing together these, uh, these different, different strands. Uh, I think mm-hmm. they, uh, even as they are somewhat uh, antagonistic with one another, I think it's a productive antagonism. Uh, mm-hmm. Certainly, if you sort of interiorize that in your sort of own philosophical or, or uh, spiritual perspectives. Um, but yeah, in terms of like uh, the, the kind of bigger question of what the heck do we do about uh, sort of having these sort of beautified and beautifying spiritual perspectives that are able to see sort of uh, perfection and beauty within uh, the world and others as they are, while not falling into a relativism that uh, sort of loses sight of of justice and and these sorts of things. Um, I think I think the traditional religions have have good good tools here, not not only uh, sort of philosophically, intellectually, but but also in terms of. Uh, they actually have sort of schemas of practice and uh, of of spiritual authority that uh, sort of guide you as you're going along this path to hopefully avoid uh, that pitfall. Uh, so certainly, uh, a, a Sufi master is if they're if they're worth their salt, they they aren't aren't falling into either of these excesses. And if you are sort of an active disciple in their tradition uh, you'll you'll be you'll be guided how to how to do similarly and given particular spiritual resources whether practices or uh, sort of more philosophic perspectives that uh, if you're maybe leaning towards one extreme or the other are specifically meant to to guard against that on the other hand uh, <laughs> this spiritual bypassing shit is not some new product of some new age stuff um, when some traditional religious person comes up to you and says, oh, uh, it's just God's plan after your mom dies. That fucking sucks, man. Like Mm -hmm. that is worthless. That is terrible. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. Like uh, the spiritual sort of perspective here is that uh, the the individuality, the beauty and the, the wholeness of the life of this person that you cared about so much has just been reduced to, again, it's, it's role that it plays in some, some schema that uh, mm-hmm. apparently has some divine purpose behind it. Uh, but like, what, what are you supposed mm-hmm. to do? I mean, it's like, okay, if I try and internalize that perspective, oh, I guess my mom died so that uh, I could grow in, in this, this way that uh, I wouldn't be able to do without this trauma or, or whatever. And yeah, there's some, there's some truth and goodness in, in that mm-hmm. perspective. But again, wow, she needed to die for that? Mm-hmm. That's crazy. That is so like spiritually toxic uh, mm-hmm. to, to have that kind of uh, uh, viewpoint um, that again it, it it collapses that that individuality that is uh, so sort of immediate for for mm-hmm. us in our in our actual lived experiences. We care about 
the people we love and the other beings uh, we love in this life uh, just because they are what they are, not because of uh, some intrinsic value of what they or not uh, uh, instrumental value of what they kind of do or bring to our lives. Uh, mm -hmm. We love them uh, as themselves. Uh, and so certainly we would hope that that God and uh, spiritual perspectives would would be able to do the same and kind of uh, take that in uh, rather than needing to make some move that uh, that reduces it away. Um, I'm talking a lot again. I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna close out by uh, reading a, a short bit of a, a reflection that I uh, penned down recently that tried to tried to touch on on this exact topic. So nice. I said, uh, this world is already a perfect reflection of God in a sense, as anyone who has had a deep mystical experience will probably tell you. But it's also a world where children are gunned down in acts of senseless violence. How can these be reconciled? Our God-given agency as human beings is an integral part of the primordial perfection of creation. We are like God because we can look upon the tragedies in this world and freely choose to work towards healing and reconciliation as a response. Being servants of God means to strive to make beauty of all things in this world. And at times that will look like deeply grieving with others and the world in the wake of terrible things. Tears are sometimes the highest form of prayer. This means confronting and acknowledging the horrors of this world for what they are. To act as if such things are acceptable or part of some divine plan is to harden your heart to the pain and suffering of other beings rather than to work with them towards joy and flourishing. Acknowledging evil and tragedy as such is not opposed to seeing God's perfection in this world. It is to more actively participate in this perfection. Spiritual bypassing is indeed a great sin, as is anything which makes you less able to meet others where they are in their grief. All shall be well, yet it is us to whom God has most directly given the responsibility of working towards this reconciliation in this world. So accept this impossible task. Be heartbroken and devastated in your unceasing love for God's creation. There could be no better duty. So nice. that's, that's my best, my best attempt at figuring this stuff out so far. <laughs> I love that. And I would love if you would, you know, I'll, I'll post whatever that was in the show notes so that um, others can read it. I'll post uh, a couple of um, the other things that we touched on in terms of your writing, which is absolutely wonderful just for my, you know, subscribers, listeners or whatever, if you are not familiar with Jared Morningstar's writing, um, it is absolutely beautiful. It's really balanced mm. between the sort of academic side and the and that more uh, personal, more visceral, poetic side, which is my favorite kind of writing to read. It's also my own personal writing style, so I'm perhaps biased. Before we finish up, I just want to ask you a final question, if that's okay, yeah. which is, you know, we're talking talking about your writing, so I think this leads pretty perfectly into this. Um, the relationship between creating art and um, sort of honoring this, you know, this task that um, God has given us to beautify the world uh, through our actions. What is the relationship between um, 
that more primal self-expression that ultimately I believe that art comes from the ego and also beyond the Mm -hmm. ego more. Mm -hmm. So it moves through the ego. Um, And, you know, this task of, of seeing the beauty in all things and also making the world a more beautiful place by taking beautiful actions, you know, within Mm -hmm. it. Um, Ultimately art and spirituality, uh, I see them as one and the same. And I'm curious what your thoughts are with that. Yeah, I think uh, I think I wholeheartedly agree with the sentiment. Um, if you are if you're doing spirituality well, it's it's as if uh, you have taken your your own person, your own character as sort of an artwork, and are working to to beautify this uh, in all its myriad contexts that it can can manifest. Um, one of the kind of interesting aspects about art, I think, is uh, it's essentially a, a creative act. Uh, you are you are bringing something into being as uh, an artist, whether you're a musician, a, a poet, a sculptor, a painter, any of these uh, sort of diverse uh, forms of art. Uh, it's uh, it's all creative, um, and so by by doing this, uh, we are sort of. Uh, foregrounding this aspect of us that uh, is also this aspect of God. Um, God is the the creator. Um, this is a, a pretty uh, pretty widely agreed upon uh, <laughs> sort of feature here. Um, Sorry so to argue in, with that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, I mean, in, in sort of typical Christian language, but this is certainly uh, something that uh, exists in Islam as well. Uh, we're, we're sort of made in God's image. We have this uh, sort of divine imprint in, in ourselves as human beings that makes us uh, somewhat unique among created things. Uh, so by, by engaging earnestly in, in art or, or, or craftsmanship uh, doesn't need to be sort of uh, art for art's sake. It can be something very practical too. Uh, a carpenter, uh, certainly this was Christ's own uh, uh, <laughs> sort of occupation. Uh, this is someone who's also kind of creating. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a great way to... Um, tap into that part of us that is uh, very unique as, as human beings uh, and, and has this divine uh, connection. So uh, regardless of sort of the artistic product uh, and uh, what, uh, what we may feel of that, uh, even, if, uh, even if it's uh, incomplete or um, we, we feel dissatisfied with what we've created, we are still uh, participating in this uh, act of creation, which is uh, from a Sufi perspective, it's ultimately uh, continuous with God's own creative act, albeit it is happening through us. Um, So uh, yes, uh, you have uh, God as certainly the the best artist uh, and uh, uh, ultimately kind of responsible for for all artwork uh, in some in some sense. So there, there's a lot more to more to say about this topic. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll probably we, leave could, it there. <laughs> yeah. we, could, we could do an entire podcast episode just mm-hmm. on the relationship between art and spirituality. And maybe we Absolutely. will someday. Um, yeah. But, Inshallah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. So uh, thank you so much. This has been a really, really great conversation. And I hope to I hope to have you back to talk more about just the various things that you're doing. I really support you and your project. You're doing something that, you know, I think is really important. I don't see anybody, anybody else really doing it in the way that you're doing it. So 
Yeah, keep, thanks. Keep uh, on keeping thanks, up. Scott. Yeah, and uh, and likewise. I, I'm, Thanks for listening to Sufism and Metamodernity featuring Jared Morningstar. To check out Jared's amazing projects, you can check out his bio in the show notes. There will be a ton of links there. And make sure to tune in next time where I'll be talking with Layman Pascal for our final episode of the Chakras series. Until then, take care and bye.